Chapter 111 C'est une leçon par la suite. Quand votre ennemi se reproduira, car il n'est pas en son dernier masque, congédiez-le brusquement, et surtout n'allez pas le chercher dans les grottes. Jacques Cazotte, Le Diable Amoureux, 1772, from a page suppressed in later editions. Now, in Belbo's apartment, as I finished reading his confessions, I asked myself, what should I do? No point going to Garamond. De Angelis had left. Dio Televi had said everything he had to say. Leo was far off in a place without a telephone. It was six in the morning, Saturday, June 23rd, and if something was going to happen, it would happen tonight in the conservatoire. I had to decide quickly. Why, I asked myself later in the periscope, didn't you pretend nothing had happened? You had before you the texts of a madman, a madman who had talked with other madmen, including a last conversation with an overexcited, or overdepressed, dying friend. You weren't even sure Belbo had called you from Paris. Maybe he was talking from somewhere a few kilometers outside Milan, or maybe from the booth on the corner. Why involve yourself in a story that was imaginary and that didn't concern you anyway? That was the question I set myself in the periscope as my feet were growing numb and the light was fading, and I felt the unnatural yet very natural fear that anyone would feel at night, alone, in a deserted museum. But early that morning I had felt no fear, only curiosity, and, perhaps, duty, friendship. I told myself that I too should go to Paris. I wasn't quite sure why, but I couldn't desert Belbo now. Maybe he was counting on me to slip under cover of night into the cave of the thugs and as Suyadana was about to plunge the sacrificial knife into his heart, burst into the underground temple with my sepoys, their muskets loaded with grape-shot, and carry him to safety. Luckily I had a little money on me. In Paris I got into a taxi and told the driver to take me to Rue de la Manticore. He grumbled, cursed, the street couldn't be found even in those guides they have. In fact it turned out to be an alley no wider than the aisle of a train. It was in the neighborhood of the old Bièvre, behind Saint-Julien-le-Pauvre. The taxi couldn't even enter it. The driver left me at the corner. Uneasily I entered the alley. There were no doorways. At a certain point the street widened a little, and I came to a bookshop. Why it had the number three I don't know, since there was no number one or two or any other street number. It was a grimy little shop, lighted by a single bulb. Half of the double door served as a display case. Its sides held perhaps a few dozen books, indicating the shop's specialties. On a shelf, some pendulums, dusty boxes of incense sticks, little amulets, Oriental or South American, and tarot decks of diverse origin. The interior was no more welcoming. A mass of books on the walls and on the floor, with a little table at the back and a bookseller who seemed put there deliberately, so that a writer could write that the man was more decrepit than his books. This person, his nose in a big handwritten ledger, was taking no interest in his customers, of which at the moment there were only two, and they raised clouds of dust as they drew out old volumes, nearly all without bindings, from teetering shelves, and began reading them, giving no impression of wanting to buy. The only space not cluttered with shelves was occupied by a poster, garish colors, a series of oval portraits with double borders, as in the posters of the magician Houdini. Le Petit Cirque de l'Incroyable Madame Olcott et ses liens avec l'invisible An olive-skinned mannish face, two bands of black hair gathered in a knot at the nape. I had seen that face before, I thought. Les derviches hurleurs, 
et leurs dents sacrées, les frics mignons ou les petits-fils du Fortunio Licetti. An assortment of pathetic, abominable little monsters. Alex et Denise, les géants d'Avalon, Théo, Léo et Géo Fox, les enlumineurs de l'ectoplasme. The library Sloan truly supplied everything from the cradle to the grave. It even advertised healthy entertainment, a suitable place to take the children before grinding them up in the mortar. I heard a phone ring. The shopkeeper pushed aside a pile of papers until he found the receiver. Oui, monsieur, he said. C'est bien ça. He listened for a few minutes, nodded, then assumed a puzzled look, or at least it was the pretense of puzzlement on account of those present, as if everybody could hear what he was hearing and he didn't want to assume responsibility for it. Then he took on that shocked expression of a Parisian shopkeeper when you ask for something he doesn't have in his shop, or a hotel clerk when there are no rooms available. Ah, non, monsieur. Ah, ça. Non, non, monsieur. C'est pas notre boulot. Ici, vous savez, on vend des livres. On peut bien vous conseiller sur des catalogues, mais ça... Il s'agit de problèmes très personnels, et nous... Oh, alors, il y a... C'est pas moi, des curés, des... Oh, oui, si vous voulez, des exorcistes. D'accord, je le sais, on connaît des confrères qui se prêtent, mais pas nous. Non, vraiment, la description ne me suffit pas, et quand même... Désolé, monsieur. Comment Oui Si vous voulez. C'est un endroit bien connu, mais ne demandez pas mon avis. C'est bien ça, vous savez, dans ce cas, le confiance est tout. À votre service, monsieur. The other two customers left. I felt ill at ease, but steeled myself and attracted the old man's attention with a cough. I told him I was looking for an acquaintance, a friend who I thought often stopped by here, Monsieur Allier. Again the man had the shocked look he had had while on the telephone. Perhaps, I said, he didn't know him as Allier, but as Rakoski or Sotikov or... The bookseller looked at me again, narrowing his eyes, and remarked coldly that I had friends with curious names. I told him never mind, it was not important, I was merely inquiring. Wait, he said, my partner is arriving, and he may know the person you are looking for. Have a seat, please, there's a chair in the back there, I'll just make a call and check. He picked up the phone, dialed the number, and spoke in a low voice. Kasabin, I said to myself, you're even stupider than Belbo. What are you waiting for, for them to come and say, oh, what a fine coincidence, Jacopo Belbo's friend as well. Come, come along, yes, you too. I stood up abruptly, said goodbye, and left. In a minute I was out of Rue de la Manticore, in another alley, then at the Seine. Fool, I said to myself, what did you expect? To walk in, find Allier, take him by the lapels, and hear him apologize and say it was all a misunderstanding? Here's your friend, we didn't touch a hair on his head. And now they know that you're here, too. It was past noon, and that evening something would take place in the conservatoire. What was I to do? I turned into Rue Saint-Jacques, every now and then looking over my shoulder. An Arab seemed to be following me. But what made me think he was an Arab? The thing about Arabs is that they don't look like Arabs, at least not in Paris. In Stockholm it would be different. I passed a hotel, went in, asked for a room, got a key. As I was going upstairs, 
wooden stairs with a railing from the second-floor landing the desk was still visible, and I saw the presumed Arab enter. Then I noticed that in the corridor there were other people who could have been Arabs. Of course, that neighborhood was full of little hotels for Arabs. What did I expect? I went into the room. It was decent. There was even a telephone. Too bad I didn't know anyone I could call. I dozed fitfully until three. Then I washed my face and headed for the conservatoire. Now there was nothing else for me to do but enter the museum, stay on after closing, and wait for midnight. Which I did. And a few hours before midnight I found myself in the periscope, waiting. Netzach, for some interpreters, is the sephira of endurance, forbearance, constant patience. In fact, a test lay ahead of us, but for other interpreters it is victory. Whose victory? Perhaps, in this story full of the defeated, of the diabolicals mocked by Belbo, of Belbo mocked by the diabolicals, of Diotalevi mocked by his cells, I was, for the moment, the only victorious one. Lying in wait in the periscope, I knew about the others, but the others didn't know about me. The first part of my scheme had gone according to plan. And the second? Would it, too, go according to plan? Or would it go according to the plan? which now was no longer mine.